Isaiah 9, 1 through to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as the people rejoiced at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it, with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish, accomplish this. And if you'd kindly turn to uh, Luke chapter 1, page 723 in the Red Pew Bible, 723 in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through to 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Verse 27. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, as you have said. Then the angel left her. I achieved a uh, personal ambition during the week. Um, Ben Hutchins, who 
comes to our nine o'clock service, became my 200th Facebook friend. Now, to those of you who've got a 1,000 people on your Facebook accounts, uh, that probably means nothing, but that was a nice moment for me to hit the big 200. Unfortunately for Ben, there wasn't too many prizes involved in that, except for the honour of being my 200th Facebook friend. Um, one of the uh, Facebook and other networking sites are controversial. Uh, not everyone's a great fan of them, and uh, but I do think there are some advantages. One of the things I've found advant ad advantageous has been that it's been a kind of easy way of hooking up with um, old friends, people who I haven't had any contact with for quite some time. And so there's uh, friends who I used to be close to in churches that I used to go to that uh, I've been able to reconnect with because of Facebook. Um, there's been a whole stack of uh, mates from my high school days that I've reconnected with through Facebook. In fact, um, about three weeks ago, I reconnected, I got a Facebook request from a guy who was in primary school with me, who I haven't uh, spoken to since I was 12 years old. And uh, we've reconnected, we've broken the silence because of, si of uh, Facebook. Now, you may not be a great fan of Facebook. You might not even be on Facebook. Blessings to you if that's the case. But I wonder, though, have you ever had that kind of experience? Um, the experience whereby there's you know, been a friendship that you've had which was valuable to you at one point in your life, but the relationship's kind of gone silent for a long period of time. And then suddenly one day, out of the blue, perhaps, you've received a letter in the mail or a, um, or a Christmas card or even a phone call from this long-lost friend. Sometimes it's hard to know how to respond to that, and, uh, but uh, other times it's great, isn't it? It's wonderful as you kind of talk about old times and you rekindle the relationship and uh, reconnect with each other. Well, in 12 days from now, it'll be Christmas Day, and Christmas is a great time to reconnect with people that you haven't seen for ages, even if it's just family members who you haven't seen for the last 12 months. One of the things we often forget about Christmas, though, is that the, the very first Christmas signalled the, uh, the end of a long silence uh, in respect to one particular relationship. And the relationship I'm talking about is the relationship between God and his people. Um, let me explain that. In our Bibles, the, uh, the gap between the Old and the, and the New Testaments is represented by one sheet of paper. There it is. That's the separator between the Old and the New Testaments. And that can make you think that it sort of flows on pretty quickly, but it doesn't. Uh, there was a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament of 400 years. That's a long time, isn't it? Uh, 400 years without a prophetic word from God. Now, in our Bibles, the, the books of the Old Testament are not placed in order, uh, in chronological order, in terms of the um, chronology of how the events occurred. The Old Testament books are actually grouped in, uh, in groups of books 
according to the particular style of literature that they are. So whether they're narrative or law or prophecy, they're kind of grouped together. And so what that means is that um, the, the last book historically in the Bible is not Malachi, which is the last book, chrono- you know, which is in your actual Old Testament, but uh, historically, in terms of the, the timing of the events, uh, the last book would actually be Nehemiah. And so the, the actual story of the Old Testament ends with, with Nehemiah. Now, I don't know if you remember, a few years back we studied Nehemiah, and one of the things we saw there was that Nehemiah uh, finishes on a sour note. Uh, throughout Nehemiah, the people of God in Judah had repented of their sins and they'd made certain promises to God. They made about three or four key promises to God. But by the, end, by the time you get to the end of Nehemiah, they have blatantly broken all three of the promises that they made. And uh, so what it means is that uh, Nehemiah finishes on a note of rebellion against God. Nehemiah himself washes his hands at the people and says to God, look, I'm sorry, but don't blame me. I tried as hard as I could. And that's the way that Nehemiah ends. So what that means is that that is in fact the way that the Old Testament ends. The Old Testament ends with a note of rebellion. And then uh, there is the beginning of a very long silence from God. There was no prophetic word from the Lord for more than 400 years. Now, of course, there's a lot of Jews who couldn't give two hoots about that. They couldn't couldn't care less that uh, God didn't speak to Israel for 400 years. But there were some godly Jews, godly men and women, who lived in hope. They lived in hope that one day God would break the silence They lived in hope that one day God would speak again and that he would make his kingdom great. Now, when you think about it, um, 400 years is a long time, isn't it? Uh, I mean, um, you know, as Australians, our kind of history here, if we're kind of European-type Australians, doesn't go back that far, does it? Uh, You know, 400 years ago, that would have made it 1609. That would have been about um, 161 years before Captain Cook um, sailed past Port Macquarie. Uh, That's a long time, isn't it? Who was the King of England in, you know, 1609? Any historians here? Uh, Somewhere 50 years earlier was King Henry VIII, I think, was sitting on the throne in England. So we're talking a long... 400 years is a very long time. And a lot of things can happen in 400 years. And that's the period of the silence from God to his people of Israel. And I think that understanding this background is helpful uh, in terms of appreciating the passage that uh, we're looking at today, which is Luke chapter 1, which you might want to have open in front of you. Because in Luke chapter 1, God finally breaks his silence. And you ask the question, well, how did he do that? If God was silent for 400 years and then he spoke, how would he present himself? Would he 
you know, gather together all of the religious leaders and say, I am God, I'm now presenting myself to you again, I've now got a word for you. Well, we know that he didn't do that, did he? Instead, God spoke into very humble circumstances. And we're told here that he sent an angel into some very humble circumstances. Now, when you think of an angel, uh, what do you think of? What's your impression of an angel? Some of the little kids that were around here early on today are out in Sunday school now. Well, you know, um, you might think of an angel as kind of like the thing that you, if you've done your Christmas decorations yet, you stuck the kind of angel on the top of the Christmas tree. Uh, is that your an angel? Uh, simply means a messenger. Uh, and in, in biblical terms, it is a messenger who has come from God. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a terribly great amount of detail about angels. Uh, we know that angels are spiritual beings who dwell with God. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, we know that there were some rebellious angels uh, led by Satan who rebelled against God and uh, the implications of that have been enormous. Uh, there are several times in the Bible where angels are said to have appeared before men. Um, earlier this year we looked at the book of Daniel, didn't we? And in the book of Daniel we were introduced to the, to the angel Gabriel. Um, there's not many occurrences in the Old Testament of angels, but that was one of them. Uh, Gabriel uh, and uh, his appearance in the book of Daniel. Now in the first half of Luke chapter 1 it's that very same angel Gabriel who uh, comes and who breaks God's silence. Uh, we see that uh, in Luke chapter 1 that Gabriel came and he appeared to one of those godly Jews who was hanging out for God to speak again. His name was Zechariah. And he came uh, and told Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth was going to give birth to a child and that that child would be the prophet who would prepare the way for God's coming king. And so God broke his silence. And then in verse 26, we read that uh, Gabriel then appeared to a young a teenage girl by the name of Mary. Let me read uh, verse 26 and 27 for you, Luke 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now, she was, uh, we're told that uh, she was pledged to be married. Uh, she was engaged. Um, it's helpful to note that engagement in those days meant something different to what engagement means today. Although, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not sure what engagement means today. <laughs> Uh, that seems to be pretty messy um, in, our in our day and age. But in those days, it was a bit clearer, uh, in first century Judea, to be engaged to someone meant that um, uh, you were actually committed to that person. 
it had some of the same um, implications as marriage has today, uh, except that you did not indulge in sexual relations. For godly people, sex came after the marriage. But the engagement was, was such a serious thing that in order for someone to break up an engagement, they'd have to go through a procedure of divorce. So it's a bit different from our culture today. Now, Mary was engaged to Joseph. Um, that therefore meant that she was committed to him and that he was committed to her. It also meant that because she was only engaged to him and she was a godly woman, that she was a virgin. They had not been involved in sex. Now, I think it's hard for us to grasp uh, what it meant for God to break the silence uh, of that 400 years. Because we're so used to God speaking to us because we've got the complete canon of scripture. Uh, what was it like for, for a Jew uh, to not have God speak to them for 400 years? It's hard for us to grasp the significance of that. But I think the significance of it is emphasised by the fact that when God did break the silence... He didn't simply send another prophet uh, in order to do that, but rather that there was a, an extraordinary outbreak of angelic activity um, in Luke chapter 2. It was an angel who appeared before the, shepherd, the shepherds. There were, we're told that there was a great host of the, uh, of, uh, a great company of the heavenly host that appeared to the shepherds and, and praised God. Uh, we're told that when the angels appeared to the shepherds that they were terrified. They were terrified because the glory of the Lord shone all around them. This is significant because, as I've said, and angels do not appear very much in the Bible, but in Luke chapter 2, at this point in time, there is this incredible outburst of angelic activity. Mary was terrified as well. But notice it wasn't the sight of the angel that terrified her. Take a look at how Mary reacted to what the angel Gabriel said. Um, we'll pick it up in uh, verse, um, verse 28. In verse 28, Gabriel says, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And then in verse 29, uh, we're told that Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And she wondered what, what type of greeting might this be? In verse 30, she was afraid. And I guess she's thinking, why would an angel greet me in such an exalted manner? Because after all, a messenger from God would not visit unless God had a very important message to give. And that is exactly the case. There's a story I read about Albert Einstein. I don't know if you've heard this one or not, but apparently um, Albert Einstein was invited to, um, to address a conference of scientists at, at a university. And when the... Uh, uh, the the, uh, the president of the university uh, invited him to step up to the podium and to deliver his address. Uh, the, the story goes that Einstein 
stood up from his seat, walked up to the podium, eyeballed the audience and said to them, I've got nothing to say to you. When I do have something to say to you, I'll let you know. And then he trotted on back down to his seat and sat down. I'm not sure how the other academics reacted to that. But uh, then sometime later, he uh, contacted the, uh, the university and he said, well, I've got something to say now. So they reconvened the conference and uh, invited him up to the uh, lectern and Einstein presented to the audience his theory of relativity. Uh, he broke his silence and uh, he did so because he now had something which was actually worth saying. Sometimes people think that some preachers would be good to take that uh, precedent as well. <laughs> if you don't have anything to say, sit down. But, you know, what he said uh, actually changed the way that we think about the entire universe. Right? Well, after 400 years of prophetic silence, God now had something to say. And in verses 31 to 33... The prophecies of the Old Testament, the words of the prophets spoken long ago which spoke of the coming of the kingdom of God were now about to be fulfilled. Have a look at it. Pick it up at verse, uh, verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give the throne of his father David to him, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Friends, why did God break his silence? Because he had something to say. Because the thing which was about to happen is in fact the central event of all human history. The thing which is about to happen is the most important thing that could ever happen. The thing which was about to happen is the very thing which will change people from there on. The Old Testament had ended in failure. The Old Testament had ended with God's people rebelling against God. The Old Testament had ended with a need for something new. The Old Testament had, needed, had ended with a need for a saviour. That's exactly what the prophets had said. For example, there's wonderful prophecies that point to this event, but uh, let me just pick out one or two for you. In Isaiah chapter 7, you don't have to look this one up, but in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 it says this. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign... The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What does the word Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. This son born to the virgin would be God. Well, what did the angel say to angel Gabriel say to, to Mary? He said, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you'll give him a, a name. Jesus. What does Jesus mean? 
It's Jesus uh, in the Greek. It's Yeshua in the Hebrew. It means we sometimes say Joshua. It means the Lord saves. This child would be God. He would be Emmanuel. He would come and he would be the saviour. Another great Old Testament prophecy is Isaiah chapter 9. This one would be good to look up. If you care to open up your Bibles at Isaiah chapter 9, which you'll find on about page 400 and something. 489. Uh, let me read to you just first one, and then I'll read verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9 on page 489. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And friends, when the angel Gabriel came and spoke to Mary, God broke his silence. The fulfilment of these promises and many others in the Old Testament would be embodied in the child she would carry. He would be the son of the most high God. He would sit on the throne of David. He would rule an everlasting kingdom over God's people. But notice how Mary reacts to this. Um, she's, she's just been told that she is going, she's about to give birth to the to the God of the universe. Now, that, that's kind of pretty startling news, don't you think? I mean, that's, you know, that is a stunning piece of information to be told by an angel that you're going to give birth to the God of the universe, to the, uh, the ruler over David's throne. Extraordinary bit of information. But rather than being stunned about who this baby would be, in verse 34, uh, Mary is stunned by how this would be. <laughs> uh, how will this be, she says? I'm a virgin. <laughs> how am I going to give birth to a baby? Uh, you know, there's people these days who reckon that, the, uh, that what the Bible teaches about the virgin birth of Jesus, that it's, it's just a myth that you know, the early church just kind of invented to sort of spice up the story a little bit and make it a bit more interesting. Uh, have you heard that? Uh, well, look forward to hearing about it over the next couple of weeks because at Christmas time, you, you see, what happens is that there's church leaders who believe that. There's um, people who've got prominent positions in denominations uh, who don't believe that uh, Jesus is divine uh, they believe that that was just a myth and uh, normally they publish their articles saying that you know, in the, 
in the, a week or two before Christmas. It's kind of a nice touch, you know. They just want to, while we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, they just want to tell us uh, that uh, you don't have to believe that um, he's actually God in the flesh. So look forward to that over the next week or two. It usually happens. Um, does that surprise you that church leaders would say that? Yes? No? It should not surprise you because the Bible teaches us that there will be false teachers. The Bible teaches us, Jesus himself said that the, you know, we ought to expect that there will be uh, wolves that will come in sheep's clothing. So there will be people who actually are not Christians, who are the enemies of God, enemies of Jesus, and they'll be dressed up as religious leaders um, to deceive you into believing them. It's interesting that they don't believe that, um, God, that Mary could be a surrogate mother. <laughs> They're quite happy to believe that doctors can actually make people surrogate mothers, but they don't actually believe that God could do so. Now, the angel Gabriel, unlike um, the rebellious angels, uh, had no doubts about the virgin birth. Uh, and take a look at how he answered Mary's question. Uh, in verse uh, 30, 34, she says, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That's what he says. Um, uh, the, the angel is very respectful and very sensitive in terms of how he puts this to Mary. Uh, in, in saying that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and that she would be, um, and the power of the Most High will overshadow her, he, rude, he rules out any crude idea that uh, some people have that um, somehow that the Holy Spirit mates with Mary. That's another bit of false teaching that's around the place. Some Muslims I've talked to think that that's what we believe. Um, they think that the Holy Trinity is the Father, Son and Mary. Okay, That um, the Father mated with Mary or something rather like that, uh, which is nonsense, not what we believe at all. Uh, there is no sense that uh, this child would in any way be genetically connected with any human being. No sense. Not with Joseph, not even with Mary. And that's very significant because all humans are affected, or should I say infected, by original sin. Uh, the sinful nature uh, which has been passed on down to us from Adam uh, through the generations to you and me here today. And it's because of our sinful nature that we are incapable of saving ourselves and it's why we need a saviour, uh, one who is sufficient to pay for our sins and being God, Jesus is sufficient, but also someone who himself is free from original sin, who has not inherited the sin of Adam and Eve. And it's for that reason that God sent his own son into the world. Now, some people say that's impossible. Impossible that that would happen. Well, the angel said to Mary in verse 36, if you want to have a look at that, 
He said, if you think it's impossible that miracles happen, well, go and take a look at Elizabeth. She was barren and now she's six months pregnant. Who do you think arranged that? For in verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Well, today is December the 13th. Um, It's 12 days till Christmas and we are well and truly into it, aren't we? uh, Some of the schools have already broken up for the year. Uh, Some of the schools finish up next week. There are people who are already visiting us on holidays. Great to have you with us here. Uh, I don't know about you, but where I live, in our street, I don't know what our carbon footprint is starting to look like this week, Um, but the street is kind of all lit up. Houses that are ablaze with, uh, with uh, lights of a night time. People have uh, put their Santa Clauses and their reindeer into their front lawns and it's all looking very Christmassy. You might be very busy buying and wrapping presents at the moment and uh, uh, writing and sending out Christmas cards, stocking up you know, food for the big day. Can I suggest that in the midst of all of that, that you pause and you reflect. Reflect on the reality that the first Christmas occurred because God broke his silence. Because God had something very, very important to say. The author to the Hebrews puts it this way. I've printed this on your sheets there. He says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. God has broken his silence. Are you listening to what he says? God has sent Jesus to save our world to save you and me from the consequences of our sin by dying on the cross and to rule over our lives. And so is Jesus the one who rules over your life. That is what we each need to pause and reflect upon this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did not remain silent, that you fulfilled the promises that you made long ago, that you came into our world in the person of your only son, Jesus. We thank you, Father God, that he was pure, that he was without any uh, connection to sin whatsoever, and that being God in the flesh, that he is fully capable of paying the penalty for our sins. We pray for each one of us this Christmas that we would not be so caught up in all of the things that there is about Christmas that we would fail to pause and to reflect upon the reality that you have broken your silence, that you have spoken in the person of your son Jesus and that you are speaking to us today, calling upon us to repent and to believe the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.